Glad you made it out tonight, and we are returning back to Exodus 15 through 17, uh, basically because I needed uh, an hour and ten minute sermon, and that's just not conventional, so we (laughs) broke it up into two. We we noticed last week in in those three chapters of of Exodus that uh, you have a, a summary picture of Israel in the wilderness. Uh, three days after they've left uh, from Egypt, they are without water, and they think they're going to come now to some water, and they come to it, and it turns out it's undrinkable. Uh, and so a miracle happens as God has Moses then put uh, a piece of wood in the water, and the undrinkable water now becomes sweet water. 30 days then from leaving Egypt, we're completely out of food, we are starving, and so the people now complain and grumble and say, well, you brought us out here to die, we have nothing to eat. And so God then by morning brings manna, bread to fall down from heaven each morning, and we see then meat that would be given each evening. And then chapter 17, we have the water issue yet again. Here we are in the, in the desert, and we have no water. And so God tells Moses to strike the rock, and water then pours out of that rock. And we're seeing then already that there are just simply pictures of Israel's failure. Uh, they have failed from the very beginning. They failed as soon as they walked out of Egypt. In fact, they failed while they were in Egypt, telling Moses, we don't want to go. Then when they're backed up against the Red Sea, you brought us out here to die. You brought us out here to die because we have no water. You brought us out here to die because we have no food. So the record of Exodus keeps showing uh, Israel in in failing all of this and they're grumbling and complaining. So we looked at that uh, last week and, and observed that direct message. But there is yet another very important message that comes out of these three chapters that the New Testament highlights. And that's where we want to spend our time then this evening, is that it's one thing to just look at it and take these surface level stories and say, well, that's the historical account of how things happen. However, we have noticed in our study of the book of Exodus that there is much more going on, that God is giving us a picture book of how he's going to save the world. And so the things that are happening to Israel and what God is doing through Israel and delivering them out of Egypt and taking Taking them to Canaan, this promised land, has all been given to us as a picture of what God was going to do in the future. One of the places that we've looked at many times and will continue to look at again and again to underscore that truth is seen particularly in one great place is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, where the Apostle Paul says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, They all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that the rock was Christ. And I think it's just so interesting. The Apostle Paul just simply says, I want you to understand that what happened to Israel in the wilderness, in passing through the sea and passing through the cloud and baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and ate the same food and and drank the same drink, drink was all the same thing that you've experienced too. And so then it gives us this great picture to look back at what's happened there in Exodus 15 through 17 and look at this food that came down from heaven for for the people and this water that came out of the rock 
how that is being used for us in the New Testament so that we can understand what our salvation in Jesus Christ looks like. And so that's what we're going to spend our time looking at is Exodus 15 through 17 has two main images, bread from heaven and water from the rock. We're going to look at those two things then in the New Testament. So if you open your Bibles to John chapter 6, that is where we're going to spend the majority of our time is in the Gospel of John. I've talked to you before as we studied the Gospel of John a few years back and made mention of it many times in our study of Exodus. That John is the gospel that connects back to the Old Testament in many ways the most of the four. And using these images and pictures of what had happened in the days of Moses, the gospel of John seizes on that imagery again and again to show that Christ is the fulfillment of the things that had happened back there in the past. John 6 is perhaps the strongest of all of the places that we see this connection. In the first 15 verses of John, 6, you have the miracle recorded for us there of the feeding of the 5,000. Remember we have the loaves and the, and the fish and so here and we have 5,000 not counting the women and the children that are able to, to feed off of this amount and, and God is able to multiply that for them and notice that verse 14 of chapter 6 what the people understand from this. It says there in John 6 14, when the people saw the sign that he had done they said this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world now what prophet are they talking about remember back in Deuteronomy as Moses is rounding out his life and is giving his final sermon before the people in chapter 18 he tells them that God was going to raise up for them a prophet just like me And when he comes, you need to listen to him and do as he says. And notice when Jesus does this miracle of feeding the 5,000, they are drawing the correct conclusion. This is the person that Moses was talking about. This is what Moses said would happen. Why are they making that connection? Because they're making the connection of what happened in the wilderness and the bread that came down. Now here is Jesus and he's doing the exact same thing. He's able to make bread for all the people to be able to eat as well. And so they understand that and they perceive that and say, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. When you jump forward to verse 22, we're told now it's the next day. And the crowds have come to Jesus on the other side of the sea, the middle section there. Jesus walks on the water as the disciples are going across the sea. And Jesus then ends up on the other side. The crowds who were there, who saw Jesus feed the 5,000, travel around the Sea of Galilee and come over to where Jesus is at. Verse 24, so when he, when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. And so now Jesus makes an observation here and says, you've come to me for the wrong reason. 
You saw the sign. You made the connection. This is the prophet that Moses spoke about. And rather than crossing the sea to say, hey, we know you're the prophet who's come to save the world and to deliver us from sin and to do all these great things just like Moses said, what do the people say? All right, let's eat. Lord, why'd you come over here? That's really hard to have breakfast all the way over here in Capernaum when you were over here on this side of the sea and you made it kind of tough. And Jesus knows that. Jesus says, I know why you're here. And you're here for the wrong reason. You've come because you want your flesh to be satisfied and that's not the reason you should have come to me. And so that's what he teaches in verse 27. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give to you. For on Him God the Father has set His seal. And then they said to Him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. That is a big sentence that we're going to spend some time with. Notice his answer. This is the work of God that you believe in him whom Jesus has sent. Now watch what they say. Verse 30. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. What are they saying? Think about what they're saying right there. Okay, we know you're the prophet that God sent. We know you're the prophet that Moses was talking about. Okay, so they come up to him and say, all right. You're the guy. And Jesus goes, no, you're not here for the right reason. You've come here for food and you should be coming here for the food that doesn't perish. And so they say, okay, well, what does that look like? What should we be doing? And this is what Jesus says in verse 29, that this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he sent. Jesus says, you need to believe in me. This is what needs to happen. And they say, all right, what do you do so that we will believe you? And notice what they're referencing. The prior prophet, Moses, he did a sign. And the fa- our forefathers ate manna in the wilderness. So what are you going to do so that we will believe in you? They're making this connection. They're going, okay, you're the new Moses. Got it. You're the prophet. Got it. Moses did all of these things back here. And so we expect you to do the same. We see Moses, he causes the manna to fall in the wilderness there, and they were able to eat. And so, Jesus, what sign then do you do that we would understand that this is truly you, the prophet? Notice that comes directly out of basically Exodus 16.15, the text that we're spending our time in. There when it happens, it says, when the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? This is when the man is on the ground and they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. So notice that's what they're basically quoting. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Okay, we're connecting to Exodus 16 perfectly. They're, They're totally on track with what Jesus is doing and what Jesus is saying. Now watch what Jesus does with this as he tries to teach them. Verse 32, here's his answer. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. But my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. 
For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Notice he makes this statement. First of all, the father gave you that bread, not Moses. And when you read Exodus 16, that's right. I mean, remember Moses, he says, you know, who are we that we could feed you guys? Your complaint is not against us, Moses and Aaron. Your complaint is against God. Don't grumble against God is what Exodus 16 drives home at. And so Jesus kind of reminds them of that with a purpose, as you're going to see. And then he tells them something that I think is, is pretty staggering right here. For the bread of God. What's the bread of God? He who comes down from heaven. Notice the shift. (laughs) What's the bread of heaven? We want this bread. It's he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They say, okay, give us that bread always. Verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I'm it. I'm that bread of life that was being pictured back there in the days of Moses. I am the one who gives life. Now, watch the response of the people in verse 41. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I've come down from heaven? Notice they know exactly what Jesus is saying. Jesus is pulling this upon himself. I've come down from heaven and I'm the bread of life and you need to believe in me. And they're now grumbling about that, complaining about that and saying, well, how can that possibly be? Now, notice that Jesus is going to take this connection and notice that the gospel is taking that connection as well. What happened back in Exodus chapter 16? The people grumbled against Moses for bread. What happens here? The people grumble against Jesus because he said, I'm the bread. You have this direct parallel happening just as it had happened in the wilderness in Exodus 16. It's happening all over again. And notice that Jesus makes the same connection. Verse 43. Here's his answer to them. Jesus answered them. Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. For it is written in the prophets, they shall all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And the Jews then disputed amongst themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? 
So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day, for my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me will also live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. And Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. If you know the rest of the story, nobody likes what Jesus said right there. Jesus even turns to his 12 and says, do you guys want to go too? Because everybody just left when Jesus gave this teaching right here. Disciples then walked away because what Jesus said was so hard. But with Jesus making this connection, I want you to take a step back. Now that we've spent all this time in Exodus and consider what Jesus is tying together. Why in the book of Exodus we read about the Israelites and here we are in the wilderness and God is providing them bread every single morning. And we're, we're pretty much amazed by that, right? That's a pretty fantastic miracle. Every time you get up in the morning, there's the food you need for the day. And every evening there was meat to eat. Every morning, every evening. So why did the Israelites perish in the wilderness? What is Exodus 15, 16, and 17 telling you? What does the book of Hebrews spend all of its time telling you as to why they perished in the wilderness? They didn't believe. We noticed that last week. We spent all of our time talking about that. Why were they complaining against God? Because they didn't believe that God would provide for them. That's why you see them in the morning when the, when the manna comes down. They gather more than they're supposed to gather because they don't believe God will provide the next day. Why are they complaining about the water situation? Because they don't believe that God is going to provide for them. They don't believe that God is with them. They don't believe that God is going to provide. In fact, you remember how chapter 17 ended? As we studied that last time in Exodus, the people were questioning, is the Lord with us or not? was the underscore of Exodus 17. The people complain and grumble, is the Lord with us or not? And they don't believe that the Lord is with them. They don't believe the Lord is going to care for them. They don't believe that the Lord is going to carry them through the desert. The Lord do not believe that they're going to take them to the promised land. How many times we've already seen in the book of Exodus, the people say, one, you brought us out here to die. And pretty soon, two, let's go back. We're going to get rid of Moses and we're going to go back. That's, that's what they're going to consistently say. You brought us out here to die. You brought us out here to die. God doesn't provide. God is not with us. Now, did you notice how Jesus tied all of that together? Back in John 6 and verse 40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. What does Jesus say you need to do? Believe. You've got to believe in me. You've got you to believe in me. And then when the people grumble about this, that Jesus says, well, I'm the bread of life, and you need to believe in me. And now they grumble in, in verse 41, because He said, I'm the bread of life that comes down from heaven. Did you notice Jesus' answer? 
When we went through the Gospel of John a few years ago, I think I spent way too many sermons just right here because this is a staggering answer. Jesus said, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. What Jesus is telling. Jesus tells them, don't grumble. Because your problem is exactly the same as it was in Exodus. That's what's so staggering about what Jesus is able to do in giving them this picture. He tells them, don't grumble because the problem is the same. They have not heard and learned from the Father so that they would come to Jesus. That's what Jesus is saying. No one can come to me unless the Father draws that person. And verse 45 tells us how God does that. They will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Israel Israel failed at this in the days of Moses. They failed now at this in the days of Jesus. Here is Jesus saying, if you would just learn of God and know God and believe in God and trust God, you would follow me. That's your problem. You don't believe. And this is the problem that was happening in the days of the Exodus. The very same thing. What's so interesting, there's a lot of things that are interesting. One of the things that's so interesting is when God was giving this model of what was happening in the Exodus would be a picture of how God was going to save. He was not only picturing how salvation was going to occur. He was also picturing how the rejection would occur in the exact same way. That's what's fascinating. We, we easily see the salvation part. Okay, bread of life, got it. You know, going to save them from Egyptian slavery, got it. But notice the mechanism of rejection is also exactly the same. They do not believe in God in Exodus. They don't believe that He's going to deliver them. He doesn't, but they don't believe He's with them. They don't believe they're going to deliver. And Jesus does the exact same thing here and says... If you were taught of the Father, if you were taught by God, if you knew Him, if you had learned of Him, if you had understood those things, then you would come to Me. So don't grumble because your problem is essentially you do not believe. To tie these couple things together, in the days of Moses, here is the declaration that God was going to provide bread to give life to His people. Here they are in the desert. In the middle of the desert. How are they going to get by? They have this long trek they're going to do to take, get their way up to the promised land. And God is telling Moses, just stand back and watch. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to give you water in the desert. I'm going to give you bread in the desert. I'm going to give you meat in the desert. And so God was going to provide for them so that they would live and enter into the promised land. But they don't believe. And really, that's the record of Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, right? It's how they're going to fall in the wilderness because of their lack of faith. They're going to fall. Now we're in the days of Jesus. And now God is here to provide uh, this bread to give life to the people. And what's going to happen? They don't believe, and they're going to perish just like they did in the Exodus. Please consider how... The verse that the whole world knows 
and is at every football stadium and that everybody's fully aware of is exactly what the Gospel of John is hinging on and talking about. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have ever eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. John 3.16 is an encapsulation of what John is trying to show. Is that God is trying to give life and people refuse to receive the life that is being offered. It starts with a picture in Exodus. God says, I know you're in the desert and I know you have no water and no food. I'll provide it for you. Just trust me. All you have to do is get up and walk outside and believe that there will be food there the next day and gather it. And don't gather more, because I'm telling you that's going to rot. Just gather what you need that day and believe that God will give it to you tomorrow. And I know that you might walk in the desert for three days with no water, but believe that God has the power to give you water, even out of a rock, because though you're in a desert, God's going to provide for you. And did the people believe? And then you pull into the days of Jesus. And Jesus does a sign. And all the people go, you're the guy that Moses talked about. You're the prophet that's sent from God. And Jesus goes, I'm the bread of life. Come to me and have life. I'm the one that's become down from heaven. All you need to do is trust in me. Give your life to me. You're just completely depend upon me. And I will give you everything that you need. I will give you eternal life so that no one will perish. And I will raise you up on the last day is the very thing he's teaching in John 6. And what do the people do? How can he say that? I mean, we know his dad. We know where he's from. How can he do that? And they grumble. And they also miss out. And Jesus goes, ah, don't grumble. You have the exact same problem that they did in in the past. Is that you refuse to trust what God is saying to you. You refuse to believe all that God is teaching you. Now hold that manna, bread from heaven image. And more quickly now, let's bring in the other image. Because the other thing that Exodus gives us is this water from the rock. Twice we see that the people need water. First scene is in chapter 15. The second scene is in chapter 17. In the first one, the bitter water is able to turn sweet. In the second image, we see powerfully this declaration of the power of God and the provision of God that here is just a rock in the desert. And God tells Moses to strike that rock and water pours out of it. The New Testament implications of that are are repeated, but again, it's interesting that they are in John's Gospel again. John chapter 4, in verse, I'll begin reading in verse 10. Only had room for the middle three verses, but I'll read from verse 10. John 4.10, Jesus answered, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink. You would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, 
You have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Notice the same idea is given here. Here's Jesus coming along and has this discussion with the Samaritan woman. And what's interesting is with the Samaritan woman, she says, okay, you're talking about some special water here. And she thinks of it, when you think of living water, think of it like a fountain, a stream. It would be far easier to draw water from than a well. And so he's saying, if you knew who you were talking to, you would understand that I could give you this flowing, living water. And she says, you don't have a bucket and the well is deep. Um, how do you get this living water? Are you greater than Jacob? Because Jacob got us this well. Because, I mean, there's nowhere to get water around here in Samaria. And so how are you greater than him? And the answer basically is, yeah. Uh, if you come to me, everyone who drinks of this water be thirsty again. Whoever drinks of the water that I will give will never be thirsty again. And so here is this picture of eternal life that comes to those who would put their trust and belief in Jesus. Notice it again in John 7 where he does the same image. Last day of the great feast. The great day Jesus stood up and cried out in verse 37, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Notice the same idea. If you believe in me, living water. Believe in me, you will have the waters by which you're never going to thirst. What is fascinating too, is when Jesus says it to the Jews, what's the reaction? Grumble, complain, reject. When Jesus said it to the Samaritan woman, what was her reaction? She goes and tells everybody in the city, I found somebody who knows things about my life that nobody would ever know. You need to come and see. And you get all of this town in Samaria all becoming believers. There's a contrast between how Israel responds and how the outsiders, the Samaritans or the Gentiles, how they're going to respond. So let's pull all this back together. I know that's a lot of information. Let's try to now pull it all together and make all that make sense. Back to what we were looking at. What is Paul talking about here? Here is Paul and he says, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers. That our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food. They all ate the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. So here is this picture. Everything that we have in Christ, they had also. They had life. They had all of that before them. Same food, same drink, same cloud, same sea. All of that is tied together. And what's so fascinating is the ending there. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was Christ. Now a lot of people have read that and tried to figure out, now what do you make of that? 
Because the idea cannot be that the physical rock that Moses actually struck was actually Christ, and so there's how the water came. And some will read this and think that the Israelites wandered in the wilderness carrying this rock everywhere that they went. Make make sure to bring the rock with you because we don't know where we're going to end up and we need water to come out of this rock. That's not at all what the Apostle Paul is getting at when he says that this rock followed them. In fact, notice he calls it a spiritual rock that he's talking about, not the physical rock. But the point, though, is so simple and yet draws so closely to what we are dealing with in our lives and our salvation. What Paul Paul is saying is Christ is the provider of life. Now, the Israelites had the provider of life with them in the wilderness, but they rejected him and did not trust him. That's the connection he's trying to make is don't discount the events that are happening in the book of Exodus and say, well, that was insignificant and we're like in some different condition here. He says, now, wait a minute. The spiritual rock that was with them was Christ. They had God with them. They had the one who provides. They had the one who would give them life. They had the one that would take care of them. In fact, you get later on in in the account. What are we going to be told? Did their sandals wear out? No, here's God providing for them when 40 years in the wilderness, you think you need new shoes? (laughs) And God took care of that. You you need food? God took care of it. No one starved to death. No one died of thirst. God provided for them for all of these years. And Paul is relating that and saying they had a provider with them. To answer the question of Exodus 17, is the Lord among us or not? The Apostle Paul's answer is, yes, he was. And it was Christ. He was with you. You had the Lord with you. He was the one providing for you. However, they grumbled and they complained and they did not believe. And that's where verse 5 goes in 1 Corinthians 10. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased For they were overthrown in the wilderness. Why? They didn't believe. Yet they had all of these spiritual advantages. They had God providing for them. They had God caring for them. You had God making promises to them. I'm with you. I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to care for you in the desert. I'm taking you the better route so that we can go into the promised land. And I'm going to give you that land. They had life offered to them. They had bread from heaven. They had water from a rock. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased. And they were overthrown in the wilderness. You know what we often do with the Old Testament, in particular in the account of the Israelites in the wilderness, is that we read about the nation of Israel and we are stunned Because we read about all of these privileges and all of these advantages that they had. That we see that they had the manna every day and the meat every day and the water that would just come out of nowhere, out of a rock and taking bitter water and making it sweet. And we read that how they squandered those privileges, how they squandered what God was doing for them and that they perished in the wilderness. We read that and we are blown away that they could do something like that. Haven't you seen what God has done from the mighty plagues to the parting of the sea to the food? 
every day and the water every day. And we read about them and we go, those silly Israelites, they had all of those blessings and all of those privileges and God was with them. And of course the Lord was providing for them. How could they do such a thing? And what the Apostle Paul is doing and what John is doing in his gospel, what the writer of Hebrews is doing when they relate to these Old Testament events and these narratives is make the very same point for us. Because we say, well, they had bread fall every day from heaven. How could they not believe in the Lord and trust in him? But God is providing for us. And Jesus is pictured as the bread of life, the bread from heaven that we have every single day in an even much greater way. And what we say to the Israelites, how could you not trust God because you saw the bread from heaven? And the Apostle Paul is going, how can you not trust God because you have the bread from heaven? You have Jesus. You have the one about which all of those pictures in the Old Testament were looking forward to. Those events happened so that you would see this and that you would put your faith in them. We see the same thing. How could they not believe in the Lord and trust in him when they had water come out of a rock? I mean, don't we sit around and talk like that all the time in Bible class? Oh, if I was there and I saw the miracle of water coming out of a rock, I would believe and I would never turn back, right? I mean, water out of a rock in the middle of the desert. Wouldn't that make everybody believe? And here's the Apostle Paul saying, you have water out of the rock. You have Christ. He is what that was talking about. You have that spiritual rock. That spiritual rock was Christ. Christ is the rock by which this living water flows to us. How can we not trust in the Lord fully that God will not provide for us? Why would we not recognize that those things that are happening there in the wilderness are a picture for us? That God is providing for us in this wilderness that we are in right now on our way to the promised land. We read that Exodus event and go, boy, I can't believe they didn't believe God would care for them and provide for them. And they complained and they grumbled and they fell and they didn't believe and all that. You got to think the people of Israel laughing at us going, same, we're the same thing. Here we are. And we've enjoyed the Exodus. We've been set free from sin. Christ has set us free and now we are on our journey to the promised land and all that you need to do is believe that He will care for you and bring you home and take you there. And what do we do? Is the Lord with us or not? Is the Lord really going to care for us or not? What is going on around here? My life's not going the way it's supposed to go. We do the exact same thing. Will we believe in the Lord and entrust our lives to Him? Will we serve Him so that we will not fall as they fell? That we have to stand back and recognize that we have received all of the same advantages. We have received all the same advantages. I think I could make a very strong case that we have received greater advantages. Because at least we can look back and go, ah, I can learn from that. 
That was a failure. I shouldn't do that. We have all the same advantages. And that's why, did you know what the very next verse is after that? Those first four verses, same rock, same drink, same cloud, all of those things. And then the verse 5 is, okay, so God was not pleased with them and they, most of them fell in the wilderness. Verse 6. Now these things took place as examples for us. So we won't do exactly what they did. Exodus 15 through 17 stands there as this monument that you are on the path just like they were. And we read it and we go, they had such a short distance to go. It should have only taken a few weeks to get there. How could they not just take the short amount of time and get into the promised land and enjoy all those things, but instead they perish in the wilderness except Joshua and Caleb. They almost all die in the wilderness. It was such a short amount of time. And friends, you know we have such a short amount of time in our journey to the promised land. And what we do is we put everything else first. We don't put God first. We don't believe that He will provide. We don't believe that He will care for us. We don't believe that He is with us. And so we turn our back on God. And you have to see this and go, Friends, our time here is short. We are but a breath and a vapor. If we are lucky, God gives us a few decades. Will you follow and serve Him and not fall on the path to eternal life? Will you see the spiritual bread and the spiritual drink that God gives you through Jesus Christ and continue to walk by faith and trust in God's promises and not shrink back and press forward to the great promised land that's given to us. All that happened as an example to us so that we would believe and not fall as well. I love that sequence. And I love how the New Testament just sits on that scene of them in the wilderness with the water and the manna and says to each of us, we have the exact same privilege, even better. Will we not fall as they fell? I encourage you this evening then to consider your situation before God, to consider your spiritual state, that you would put your complete life in God's hands, to turn away from your sins, to follow Him with all of your heart, to see that your life here is short and that the purpose of our being here is eternal life that lies ahead. God has set you free. He's rescued you from sin. Will you walk by faith and follow Him until you enter home? We're here to help you do that. If you have not been baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, that's your beginning point, is your appeal to God for a good conscience, to have your sins washed away, and to follow Him faithfully. If you're ready to do that, won't you come forward now while we stand and while we sing?